Hi, this is Ray Martinez. Thanks for joining me today in great conversations that we have about some biblical research that I like to do. Today's question is, what is the image of God? What do we mean by that? When people say, well, you have to live in the image of God or live like God. What is that all about? I think there's two great uh, biblical references. The first one is 1 Corinthians 15, 49. It says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. What is our unique human identity as imagers of God? Among all the creatures of the earth, only human beings are made in God's own image and likeness. In the opening chapter of the Bible, the Creator declared a unique relationship with humans. The triune God declared, quote, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's in Genesis 1.26. In short, the Bible teaches that to be human is to image God, and to image God is to be human. In this unique relationship with humanity, God is giving to humans a special moral status, investing them with dignity and respect. Interpretations of the image of God, historically, there are several prominent interpretations of the image of God. The relational view highlights God's closeness to human beings in personal relationship. The structural view of the image of God points to certain qualities or abilities that distinguishes humans from animals. Rational capacity, the volition, the moral awareness, and consciousness, for instance. The functional views focuses on the functions humans are called to serve in God's created order, namely to be dominion stewards over the earth, as it says in Genesis 1.28. Remember Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The important point is that human beings and only human beings are images of God. Every human being has special status in God's eyes. We read that in Psalms chapter 8. And every person should be treated with dignity and respect. Regardless of who you are, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your culture, it doesn't matter. We're all to be treated equally because we are all God's creation. Then there is the distinctiveness of human life. The doctrine also plays an important role in the history of salvation. The author of Genesis teaches that Adam's son, Seth, was an imager of God, just as his father was. We read that in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, in the covenant God made with Noah and his children after the flood, the image of God is provided as the reason human life is distinct from the animal life. We read that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Furthermore, the Apostle James says that because all people are imagers of God, we should not curse other humans. We read that in James 3, 9. I really think that James verse is worth reading. 
but I'll start with verse 8. It says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So important. The disciples clearly define us of being the likeness, the image of God. I know sometimes this is hard to wrap around our heads, but human beings are by nature religious. We may even know that a powerful deity exists. We can see in Romans chapter 1 verses 19 through 20 and Acts 17 verses 22 through 28. Yet, as St. Augustine famously said, a heart is restless until it rests in you, God. God loves human beings. He sent his own son in human flesh to die for human beings, and he is concerned for the ways humans treat one another. Okay, that's easily said. Then how do we bear the image of God? To bear the image of God is to live in union with God, to follow and serve him, and to love him for what he has done for man, in creating and sustaining us, for withholding his wrath when we rebel, and for redeeming us, and for who he is in all of his perfections, his beauty, and love. He created us to be like him. In Western Christian culture, the thought is that God is traditionally described as a being that possesses at least three necessary properties. Omniscience, which means all-knowing, omnipotence, which is all-powerful, and omnibenevolence, which is supremely good. I read a great story about a lady while she was reading on the train. Myling was riding a train and she was busy highlighting sentences and jotting down notes while she was reading. And she was writing in the margin of her book. But a conversation between a mother and a child seated nearby stopped her. The mom was correcting her child for doodling in her library book. And Myling quickly put her pen away, not wanting the toddler to ignore her mother's words by following Myling's example. She knew that the child wouldn't understand the difference between damaging a loan book and making notes in one of your own personal books. Myling's actions reminded me of the Apostle Paul's inspired words in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 through 24. And he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Isn't that the example God wants us to set? It's okay to make sacrifices for ourselves so we don't mislead someone else. The believers in Jesus and the young church in Corinth saw their freedom in Christ as an opportunity to pursue personal interests. But Paul wrote that they should view it as an opportunity to benefit and build up others. He taught them that true freedom isn't the right to do as one pleases, but the liberty to do as they should for God. We follow in Jesus' footsteps when we use our freedom to build others up instead of serving ourselves. 
how can we be more considerate of others in the exercise of our freedom? God gave us freedom to be used correctly, and God wants us to do it like He would do. You've all seen the bracelets that people wear sometimes that says, what would Jesus do? I think it's a great reminder. What would Jesus do in this situation? Especially when we get angry on the road and people cut us off. We have ideas what we'd like to do, but is that what Jesus would do? Keep asking yourself this test question, and I think you'll live more and more in the image of God. Robert Kennedy was thanking young people for their support of his brother, John Kennedy, at a national convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on August 27, 1964. And his quote struck me when he said, When there were difficulties, you sustained him. When there were periods of crises, you stood beside him. When there were periods of happiness, you laughed with him. And when there were periods of sorrow, you comforted him. Think about this and how we live for Christ and like Christ and how we serve other people who maybe are believers or not, but still treating them with this comfort like Christ would do. And sometimes what we have to do is learn to be tolerant. Someone once said, nothing makes you more tolerant of a neighbor's noisy party than being there. Be there for the people. Don't stand back and criticize. Be there for each other. You have a blessed day.